It just is a, a jewel to be, behold. Um, so Mark, why don't you come up and uh, give him a <laughs> welcome, Mark. So Lord, we pray for Mark. We just thank you uh, for the honor of having him here. We just pray you release through him everything that we need, and I pray he would actually feel very comfortable here and prosper here. I pray he'd just release whatever he has to say, and even what he doesn't know he's going to say, I pray he would say it really well <laughs> in Jesus' name, and may he release. Uh, every time you have a prophetic person in your midst, there's always the wonderful possibility of an impartation. So Lord, we just ask that you just release to our church an impartation, whatever grace he's carrying today and whatever you want for us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Good morning. That was a faith statement. <laughs> Just messing with you a bit. It's great to be here with you. And, uh, oh, it's, uh, uh, when uh, Bruce said I started international ministry when I was in 1982, I was only five years old at the time. But <laughs> it's like Harrison Ford said, it's not the years, it's the miles that add up. But it's great to be with you. I really enjoyed your worship today. And uh, uh, I love strong celebration, just proclaiming the glory, the majesty, the triumph of Christ, the love of the Father. But uh, I particularly liked that, I don't know what you'd call it, that interlude with the cello. It's been a while since I've heard worship with the cello, and I, I love that touch there. But I also appreciated Mike, you getting up and, where are you at? He's gone, that's typical. I start preaching, the pastor runs out the door. <laughs> you know, he said with... Whenever you have a prophet speaking, there's always a good chance of impartation. There's always a good chance of controversy as well. So, uh, so if you hear something I'm saying today that you don't immediately agree with, uh, two words of advice. Don't get triggered. <laughs> uh, God's not impressed by our social justice media temper tantrums, okay? Uh, somewhere along the line, we're supposed to grow up and deal with issues in, a, in an adult way. That's just a word. I, I know nobody here needed to hear that. I said that for the church meeting right down the road. But secondly, if there's something I have to say today that uh, just uh, you feel like getting triggered, do what you know the word says about the Berean church. Uh, go home, read your Bible and the issues we're speaking about or I'm speaking about, and then you can repent. Just messing with you a bit. But I did appreciate Mike getting up here. Oh, there he is. I was, I was, I was trying to say something nice about you, and you ran out the door, you know. But I appreciated Mike getting up here, giving some words of knowledge. I, I love that, and uh, that's something we do quite a bit in my home church and a lot of the churches I'm with globally. But, Mike, I kept hoping you were going to say, and there's someone here, God wants to upgrade them to a new motorcycle. I was, I was going to say, I'm here. <laughs> I'll take that by faith. I'm going to speak to you a message that I've been giving, uh, well, I have been giving it globally through Zoom meetings the last year, year and a half or so, but it's something that the Lord has been percolating in me for quite a long time, and you need to know, although I do go to uh, quite a bit usually to places like Africa and different cities in Asia, my primary call is to the Western world nations uh, out of Isaiah to restore the ancient ruins, places where at one time there was revival or at least a strong city church to see that come into restoration in our day and age. And so my primary thrust is to the Western world nations, Europe, Britain, Scandinavia, and of course North America. And uh, I want to speak into that a bit. There was a book written some 10, 15 years ago by a non-Christian. His name is Matthew Crawford, and he was a, uh, an intelligentsia. He was a child protege, just had, you know, buku college degrees by the time he was 20, 22, and got hired by a uh, Washington think tank, you know, uh, and just was making tons of money. But he realized after a while that he was uh, not satisfied in life. And he remembered back to a time where uh, in his high school years, in summer breaks, he used to work at a friend's of his um, motorcycle shop doing motorcycle repair work. And he began to explore this whole thing, and he saved up his money, quit his high-paying, prestigious, influential job, so-called influential, 
And he uh, opened his own motorcycle shop, and he stumbled for many years because he really didn't have the training to work on all the different brands of bikes which he was trying to do. But out of that, he wrote a book called Shop Class as Soulcraft. And he made, a, a, I believe, a critically important statement, a commentary in our day and age. And he said, we're a society today that we know that, but we don't know how. Meaning, because of the information rage we're in, because of all the stuff out there on the internet, television, media, every which way, there's so many things we know about, but we really don't know how a lot of things are principles behind things, why a lot of things are really happening. And I find that true in the body of Christ as well. It says that of the 12 tribes that came together when David was being made king, it says of the tribe of Issachar something very interesting. It says the men of Issachar were men who had understanding of the times and knew what Israel ought to do, meaning they didn't just have a natural perspective of what was going on in their land and around them and what they thought they should do, but they had God's perspective. And I believe that with all the problems in our society today, I find that many, many Christians, including many Christian leaders, are trying to address the problems from a sociological or a political or a merge of the two standpoint. But the reality is behind everything, there's the spiritual realm at work, and things start first in the spirit. Just like in Genesis, when it says the earth was formless and void, it says in the Hebrew there was chaos upon the earth, but the spirit of God was there hovering. And so we dare not be people that just grab hold of labels and point fingers and talk about, well, she's doing that or he said this. But what is the spirit of the age and what does God want to do in advancing the kingdom? And I think, I believe, a huge problem we have today, the Lord's been speaking to me about a while, the church in the Western world, is what could be called the slumbering spirit that's upon us. You see, it's one thing to identify problems in the world, but God says judgment starts first with the household of God. We're called to be the salt of the earth. We're called to reflect the light of Jesus. And so if there's not a bigger, broader, more powerful testimony going out, sometimes we can't just point fingers at all the sin and corruption in the world. Sometimes we have to say, God, where do we need to grow up? I know nobody here needed to hear that, but again, I said that for the church meeting down the road. And so there's a, the parable Jesus told in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. I'm not going to read from it. Most of you know that. It's the parable about the wedding that was soon to come. And this is actually a picture of the wedding that's coming between Jesus and the church. And it says that there were ten virgins, and they were eagerly waiting the return of the bridegroom. But the bridegroom was delayed, and all day went by, he didn't come, and now it's getting dusk, now it's getting night, and still he hasn't returned. But it says that all ten of the virgins began to get drowsy, meaning they're awake, but they're not perceiving things clearly. They're not responding to things. It's like, you know, sometimes you're driving down the freeway, and you'll see those signs flash on there, if you're drowsy, pull over because we think we're in control, but we're just not responding the way we should. But something I want to point out to you is that all ten of the virgins, so to speak, they maintained their testimony. It's not like five of them just fell off and went and did their things. No, they all maintained their testimony. They were all walking in righteousness, and they were all overcome with this drowsiness. But five of them, it said, that had brought extra oil for their lamps. And five of them had not. And when their, uh, the, all, some, the five of them, their lamps began to run out of oil, they said to the other ones, give us some of your oil. They said, no, then we won't have enough. And this is really a picture, I believe, of the church as we get closer and closer to return of the Lord. Are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Are we filled with the presence of God? Because so often throughout both the New Testament and the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is symbolized by oil, sometimes by the living waters or whatnot. But it's only by the Spirit of God that we can really know God's will for our lives, know the momentary things, the seasonal things, but know, like Daniel said, wisdom from above. And in a large part of the church, and I know this is not true of your church and a lot of the churches I work with globally, 
But for the most part in the body of Christ, across a wide spectrum of denomination networks, over the last 50, 60, 75 years, there has been a marginalizing over the role of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not just talking about the supernatural healings and miracles, the uh, prophecies and things, although that's a key part of it, but I'm talking about knowing the overwhelming presence of God in our life. In 1 Chronicles 16, verse 11, it says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. In Ephesians 3, Paul wrote, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more, say far more, far more abundantly than all that we ask according to the power, meaning the dunamis dynamite power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting that word dunamis that the New Testament uses in the Greek for the power of the Holy Spirit? God's dunamis blows what's broken back together. The dynamite, as we translate that in the natural, and our thinking blows things apart. But I believe we're coming into a season very soon. In fact, I believe we're really at the threshold of it right now where God is going to be doing far more than we can think or ask. And the, the, the question needs to be begged, are we alert? Are we able to see what's going on? Not just are we walking in righteousness, that's of vital importance, but are we filled with the Spirit? And I believe we're about to come to that season of God doing far more. On the um, Sunday before Easter Sunday of this year, at my home church at the end of uh, a service, I gave a word of knowledge that the Lord wanted to heal people, a number of people with feet problems and joint problems, and a bunch of people came forward for that. We prayed for them. And then Easter Sunday, between services, I'm walking around talking to people, and a woman about 30 years old comes up to me, and she said, I was one of the people that came forward last week for the problem with feet. She said, the, a few days before that, I'd been in Costco, I tripped and fell, had a very bad accident, really messed up my foot. And I was in a lot of pain. I was walking in crutches with temporary, uh, temporary cast on my lower leg. And she said, I hobbled up, got prayer. By the time I got back to my seat, all the pain was gone. Monday morning, I took off the, um, I took off the, uh, the temporary cast. All the swelling was gone. Discoloration was gone. But the reason I'm telling you this is what she then said. She said, I've had pretty much a deaf ear for about seven years. And I've been wearing a hearing problem for all these years. I've never had any problems. But while they were praying for me last week for my foot to be healed, something really annoying kept happening. That hearing aid kept popping out of my ear. She said, I couldn't understand it because it never pops out of my ear. And it, I, she said, I'd push it back in, it'd pop out again. I'd push it back in, it'd pop out. And she said, it was distracting. I was getting angry because I wanted my foot to be healed. I can't even focus on the prayers they're praying. But she said it wasn't until I realized Monday afternoon my ear was completely healed, completely restored. So there we are. One person's excited. Hallelujah. You know, I wish I had a month with you. Maybe five of you would be. But uh, <laughs> messing with you a little bit. Well, not really, but kind of. But uh, I believe that sort of thing, and I teach and train a lot on miracles. I've been doing, the, doing a lot of training on that for decades now. But I, I, whenever possible, when there's authentic, verified miracles that we see, we try to document it. But also I try to look back on the way we prayed and what happened and what is the prophetic indication, if any, of it. But I felt like the Lord said not only from my home church in El Cajon, San Diego, but for many churches that were coming in to a whole new understanding experientially of what Paul said, to give glory to the one who can do far more, say far more, far more abundantly than you can think or ask. But in effect, there has been a quenching of the Holy Spirit because the more our world culture gets wrapped up in humanism, the more of a distrust or a disdain or complete disregard, I'm overlapping my words there, of the supernatural, especially the presence of God. But it's happening in the church it as well. It is only by the continual input of the Holy Spirit that we can really grasp, not only understand our times, but even what the Bible itself has to say. You know, sometimes when it comes to our worship meetings Sunday morning or maybe a home group meeting, when you pray, you worship, or maybe by yourself you're praying, and maybe you're going beyond praying for your own needs. Maybe you're praying for the city, you're praying for the state, you're praying for the nation. Sometimes that nagging thought comes in, you know, 
what we're doing in these four walls is it really make a difference. And let me tell you how we respond to the Spirit of God in our hearts, in our families, our home groups, our churches, that the ripple effect of what goes out with Thor walls of the church, you have no idea how it goes on historically in ways and means affects people, can affect cities, states, and nations. Around the turn of last century, all over the globe, starting around 1903-1904 in Melbourne, Australia, and then just a few months later in Wales, the nation of Wales, and then a few months later in Azusa Street right in Los Angeles, but not just those epicenters, but all over the world, there began to be outpourings of the spirit of Pentecost. Things that the church had not seen for generations really began to break out. And it was happening all over Europe. There were just amazing stories. I'm not a serious student of revival, but a semi-student of revival. And when you study the history of how quickly all over the globe the Spirit of God was being poured on the church, it's just amazing. And it went on to impact nations. But on the other hand, there was a cost involved for those nations. I'm not talking about the nation, the government, or the general culture but the church of a nation when they rejected that move. Among other places throughout Europe, they began to have outbreaks in Germany uh, of uh, Pentecost. And what happened, it resulted in what would be called the Berlin Declaration. In 1909, they had a gathering of 56 leading church fathers throughout the nation came together to discuss this phenomena of the so-called outbreak of the Holy Spirit that was going on. And they drew up a 16-point uh, bullet points uh, paper, the Berlin Declaration, after three or four days of discussion about this. And I'm just going to read you four of them, not all 16. You can relax. <laughs> but the first one, they said, this so-called Pentecostal movement is from below, meaning from hell, satanic influence and is therefore the result of demonic activity in which Satan intertwines truth with lies. Do you know that church historians, they believe that one out of every four Christians throughout the world today can trace their spiritual heritage back to Azusa Street, Los Angeles, on that little church that could only hold about 180, 200 people, that was radical for its time because it was a very racially mixed church, you know, but that outpouring of the Holy Spirit they did in that little church went on to impact the whole world. But the Berlin Declaration said this move is from hell. They said it is impossible to recognize this movement is sent from God. They said the Church of God in Germany must reject this movement. And they said the issue is non-biblical teaching. And they rejected it. Well, guess what? Pentecost touched many nations throughout Europe and Scandinavia and England, but not in Germany for the most part. Well, guess what happened historically? Some six years later, Germany became the leading proponent of World War I, and there was such an incredible loss of life of young men throughout the whole continent and throughout uh, Britain as well in that conflict that they called it the Great War because they never envisioned again could there be anything like that. But yet, less than 20 years later, under ultranationalism of Nazism, it started all over again. And the death was in the millions, not to mention the Holocaust, the persecution of the Jewish people, gypsies, and the Poles, and many, many others that were deemed inferior races. And I want to tell you that, although that's obviously a very graphic example, but what a church receives when the Spirit of God is moving, the Spirit of God is speaking, it can just change history. But when we shut the door in our heart of hearts to what God is doing, it also has an impact. And I believe that just like in, under Jonathan Edwards in the uh, 18th century, but also in the mid part of the 19th century, there is a great awakening of the Holy Spirit that's going to touch our society right to the core fabric. I'm on the verge of that, but that begins with the church. I want to quickly relate three short stories that happen with people after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus who knew Jesus very, very well. 
Peter and six other disciples, Mary Magdalene and two of the other disciples, that they saw Jesus, but they did not recognize him. In Luke 24, it talks about two of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they're walking along, and they're deeply confused and distraught because they know the tomb is empty, but they don't know where Jesus is. They'd given up everything to follow him for three years, and then the crucifixion and all the, 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 uh, you know, the torture and everything, and now what's going on? And it says they're walking along the Emmaus Road talking about all of this, and it says a man came and joined them on the road, and he said, what are you talking about? It was Jesus, but they did not recognize him. He said to them as they began to talk about all the problems and everything going on, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, the scriptures as they knew it at that time, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. From 18th century Scotland, there was a great theologian. He was also a poet and a hymnist. His name was William Cowper. We still actually in some churches sing uh, hymns that he wrote. But William Cowper had a great line in one of his poems, and he said, God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Now, why am I relating that to you? Yes, we need good Bible teachers. We need good Bible preachers. We need people that are God is anointed and called and do the research to you know, bring up the nuggets and all that. That is vital. But I want to say to you there's an, a huge number of things that God wants to impart to you in the area of wisdom and leading and guidance through the Word of God that will not take place unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Because just as Jesus interpreted the scriptures to this disciples, so Jesus wants to do in your life when you meditatively, I'm not just talking about reading it to memorize, but when you spend time with God in the scriptures. I'm glad you're so excited. I feel a wave of enthusiasm coming back at me. And then we jump ahead to verse 44 to the larger group. He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. We have a problem in the body of Christ, I'm going to expand on a little bit, of a lot of teachers and preachers are now beginning to teach and preach the Word of God from a humanistic perspective because they've marginalized the person of the Holy Spirit in their heart of hearts. Mary Magdalene, she goes running to the tomb, and the stone is rolled away, and she looks inside. Jesus is not there. She turns around and says she saw a man that she supposed was the gardener. And she says, Sir, do you know where they've taken my master? That gardener was Jesus. He's still in the gardening business today, isn't he? Well, you're in the vineyard. You're supposed to say, yes, Mark, we're all over that. But anyway, we'll, we'll ignore that. So <laughs> it was Jesus. He said, Mary, it's me. And all of a sudden, her eyes were open. John 21, Peter and John, six of the disciples, they know Jesus is in the tomb, but where he's at, what he's doing, they're clueless. And so, that sounds like some of the church, doesn't it? We'll edit that from the tape. But um, they go back to doing what they used to do, which is almost always a mistake. They go fishing. And just like that occasion in John chapter 5 when Peter first met Jesus and did fishing all night, not had caught any fish, they fished all night, didn't catch anything. It says they're coming in shore. They're, they're pretty close to shore, probably within 50 yards or so. And it says Jesus was standing there, but they did not recognize him. And he yelled at them, children, have you caught any fish? And uh, they said, no. He said, well, just throw your net out on the other side of the boat. Now, this is not the main focus of the message, but I want to encourage you, you all with something. That over the last several years, and I really appreciated, Mike, you getting that word about people who need breakthroughs. You know, we all need breakthroughs. But uh, I was about to go into a cheesy segue. Hey, one of my books is Breakthrough in Times of Breakdown, but I won't do that. <laughs> Heaven forbid. <laughs> but... That first time in John 
when Peter met Jesus and had been fishing all night, you know the story, Jesus said, well, take me out in your boat, and he preached because sound vibration carries better across water. And then he said to Peter, go out into deeper waters and let down your net. And the net was filled to the point of bursting. They had to call another boat to come in. But he said, go out into deeper waters. But this time, after three years of walking with Jesus, Jesus said to him, just throw your net out on the other side of the boat. And for some reason, out of the spirit within them, they obeyed. And the net was filled to the point of bursting. And John turns to Peter and said, it's Jesus. And I want to say to you that some of you, you may feel like the last several years, maybe with your job or whatever, or maybe relational difficulties, the last several years, or maybe during COVID, you feel like you've been fishing and fishing and fishing, and the net keeps coming up empty. And I want to say to you, actually, some of you are in a very good place. You don't need to go out to deeper waters. You're already in the deeper waters of what God's been preparing you for, and it's time now to throw out the net. So... So anyway, how could it be that Peter, six of the disciples, Mary Magdalene, two of the other disciples were at Emmaus, they're seeing Jesus but not recognizing. These are people that lived with him, walked with him, ate with him. How could it be they're seeing him and not recognizing? Very simply, and this is of great importance, that with the resurrection of Jesus, the people of God had transcended from the age of the law and the outward focus to the age of the Spirit. You and I cannot always recognize what God is saying, what God is doing, so to speak, with these eyes by the natural process. This is why Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, and he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He was praying for people who are already Christians that they may have that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of the Father. So you may know the hope of your calling. You may know your inheritance among the saints. And you may know the surpassing greatness of his power working through you. It is by the Holy Spirit that we enter into really understanding what God is saying, what God is doing. And apart from him, we really can't even understand the scriptures. And I believe in the body of Christ at large, there's been a huge dumbing down on the perspectives of God because we've been trying to assess, not you, but the teachers down there, we've been trying to assess the Word of God from a carnal, natural mindset. Let me tell you, God is not afraid of offending people. He's quite happy that he's the great I am and we're the great we're not. He has never apologized for being God, and he will not apologize for being God. The initial message of the gospel has not changed. Repent. Change your thinking, because my ways are higher than my ways, and, you know, my thoughts are beyond your thoughts. I love the quote from G.K. Chesterton. He said, we don't want a church that moves with the world. We want a church that moves the world. <laughs> In my home church last Sunday, one of the other pastors uh, did the Father's Day message, and the title of his sermon was Toxic Masculinity. <laughs> and he prefaced his sermon by saying, here at Foothills, name of our church, he says, we're not very woke, but we're biblically alive. Wow, the applause really died down on that one. Let's just jump into some touchy waters here. Not even deep waters, just some kind of hot waters. Same-sex marriage going all the way back to the first chapters of Genesis, a man and woman shall come together and be one. Not a man and an if, or a man and a maybe, or a man, whatever box you feel like checking. A man and a woman shall come together. Same-sex marriage. I'm sorry, God has not changed his mind on anything. He created us 
for opposites to complete one another. That's why the Bible says iron sharpens iron. <laughs> That's the whole point of marriage. No, not really, but it seems like it sometimes. <laughs> My wife and I have been married 39 years, and by the way, we've been married 39 years to each other. You have to qualify that these days. But in all seriousness, um, spiritually speaking, we look at uh, what's been going on the last three years in our nation, and let me preface of what I'm about to say uh, in very careful terms. I do believe a lot of the protests that our nation has seen the last three years were uh, for righteous reasons. There obviously is a certain degree of injustice. As much as some people say, I don't know about that, but for example, if we look at the death of George Floyd, I mean, the man was squeaking out, I can't breathe, even before the police showed up. And so I want to qualify what I'm saying, that there are injustices that need to be stood up for. And protesting is a right in democracy. But unfortunately, in our nation, we crossed a line from protesting into looting, arsony, and violence. And I'm sorry, the word of God has not changed. You shall not steal. And that includes destroying somebody else's building or property. No matter what you think that means, you know, the means then may justify. So why? Why the big difference between the protest of the last three years and the protest of the 1960s? The protest of the 1960s and the civil rights movement accomplished a lot. It didn't necessarily accomplish enough, but there were major changes that came at that time. But what was the huge difference was the, the protests in the 1960s were basically peaceful protests. They did accomplish a lot. What was the difference? Two things. One, a strong Judaic Christian biblical viewpoint of many of the leaders of the civil rights movement, especially men like Martin Luther King. They believed in change. They believed in being vocal. They believed in being outspoken. But they believed about being championing peace because peace is a hallmark of the kingdom of God. They came at things more or less from a kingdom perspective. So what's the difference? That's one. But two... In our nation, since the 1960s, we've had over 60 million abortions. There are some eight times in the Old Testament where God identifies the false god Molech. The word Molech, it actually means king, a false king, even as Satan comes with a false kingdom. Interesting COVID crown. But... Those who followed Molech believed in child sacrifice and, involved, and actually were engaged in child sacrifice. Six different times out of those eight times that God identified the false god Molech, God said, let those who are involved in this be put to death. Now, here's what I'm not saying. And please, if you've ever had an abortion, I don't stand here condemning you. Because we, in our culture today, we're all victims, we're all growing up, we're all coming into healing. You know, we're all part and parcel coming into the things of God. And this is why Paul said, for those in Christ Jesus, there's now no condemnation. So I'm not saying let's apply some Old Testament legalistic, harsh, get-out-the-rocks attitude towards those that we don't think measure up to our standards. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying because there's been a dumbing down of the scriptures because of marginalizing the Holy Spirit, we no longer are able to really assess the nuances of what God says in his word. For example, there were a number of very well-known Bible teachers, one of whom I have followed for years, that last year prior to the election, and I also need to qualify this, and my limit is I will only qualify three things during the sermon. After that, you're just on your own. I do not, and this is just my belief, you may, do, you may have your own belief, I do not believe the pulpit should be used to tell you who to vote for, who not to vote for. I believe that 
we are all to search out the candidates. I believe voting is a God-given privilege. If you ever talk to somebody who's escaped from North Korea, they say, wow, what a privilege you have to vote. But I believe we should all vote according to our consciences and according to what we biblically believe about the platforms and the views of that candidate. So what I'm about to say, please do not take it in a vein that I'm saying who you should have voted for or shouldn't have voted for. But a number of leading Bible teachers, as I said, including one man who I've had a lot of respect for for the years, made statements all in the same vein in the months leading up to the election. They said, well, Trump is against abortion, and that's good, but he's also a braggadocio. He's also an arrogant man. And yes, abortion's a sin, but so is bragging, so is arrogance. And so all three of them, in fact, more than that, said, it doesn't really matter who you vote for. But when you really delve into the scriptures, it does say that God is against the proud. That's a given. He's against the arrogant man. It says that many times. But nowhere does it say to take the braggart out and stone him. But it does say that some six times for those that are involved in abortion. And I'm not just talking about those involved in abortion, but people who facilitate abortion. I know I'm stepping on some toes here, but that's why they pay me the big money. <laughs> and again, please take this in the overall vein of what I'm talking about. I'm not saying who... So, 2,000 years ago, the Prince of Peace came. The day of Pentecost, the church was birthed in that move of the power of the Holy Spirit. And Isaiah prophesied there'll be no end to just not the kingdom, but no end to the increase of it. So what that means is over the last 2,000 years, there has been a spiraling, worldwide growing, accelerated move of the Holy Spirit. And you say to yourself, well, we're not quite seeing that, Mark. No, we're not quite seeing it in North America. But just over the last five years, Two nations in the, in the Middle East that have some of the most heaviest persecution against Christians are experiencing out-and-out out revival right now. To the point that in one of those nations, many mosques are almost empty. There has a, been a move of the Spirit happening since 1953 when communism came into power and it became illegal to worship God. The church at that time was one million people today. The ch underground church is over 100 million people. We are living in a day and age of incredible kingdom acceleration. And guess what? It's not going to stop accelerating. And sooner or later, it's going to break out in a huge, amazing way right here in Little Laguna Niguel. So... How can we prepare ourselves? How can we posture ourselves? I love what the early church prayed when persecution began in Acts chapter 4. They met together and they prayed and they said, Lord, give us a boldness to preach the gospel and grant that your hand may move in healings, miracles, signs, and wonders. And so I love whether preaching from the church or, you know, preaching doesn't mean to stand on a soapbox or a platform. It simply means to communicate the gospel. But whether you lead someone, a co-worker to, uh, to Lord or an off, a, you know, a prophetic evangelism moment at the supermarket, whatever it may be. But on the other hand, <laughs> I love what St. Francis of Assisi said. He said, evangelize always and when completely necessary, use words. One of the uh, pastors in our church, he and, his he and his wife, they have five boys. And uh, I won't go into it, but we've got a lot of large families in our church. Lord help them. But uh, he and his wife with their five kids are all under 12. You know, they're five boys together with another family that had about three or four kids together with another family from our church that had two or three kids. The, the, all the guys are surfers. So a couple months ago, they all uh, went down to Baja and they rented uh, three condos out of a four condo unit. And basically, they took with their tribe of children, just took over this. And the only other unit there, there was some poor middle-aged couple, you know. And all of a sudden, the beach is destroyed, the noise factors through the, you know, through, you know whatever, you know. You get the idea. Well, you know, uh, 
they, uh, this couple, this marriage couple that did not know the Lord, complete strangers, met them, and uh, the second night kind of hung out with them at the big bonfire the three families had at the church, and then they began to start eating with them, and they had three, uh, they, they were all coming together, all three families, preparing these huge uh, community meals, you know, sounds like hell to me, but anyway, uh, but this couple joined them for three, me- three nights in a row, and so Sunday afternoon, they're all packing, getting ready to go, and into uh, one of the friends of mine, this couple came and knocked on the door and sat down with them. And you need to know that they, they, had, they had not really had an opportunity, even though they spent a lot of time, to, quote, share the gospel with them. But this couple, both the husband and wife, said to them, we don't know what exactly it is you and your friends have, but we're desperate for it. Would you help us? And they gave their lives to Jesus Christ that day. You see, this whole art to being filled with the Spirit goes way beyond just the momentary exciting blips, you know. So, let's bring this to a close. Some of you can just give a big sigh of relief. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, going all the way back to this slumbering spirit. Jesus said or to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says, I know your works, that you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Aren't you, God, aren't you glad that uh, uh, God em- employs, you know, over the top, you know, uh, hyperbole, you know, <laughs> with the prophetic? <laughs> Thinking, wow, am I dead now? I know your works, that you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Turn to the person next to you and say, wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your work complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, have not fallen into the ways of this world, have not compromised with the culture around them. I'm ad-libbing. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I, with all my heart, I'd like to encourage you about praying about what I'm sharing today as what I like to call a now word, because I believe we're right on the verge of something. I'll close with this story. A number of years ago, I was doing a conference at a church, and um, a group of guys that had a home group from another church had heard about the meetings for the first night the spirit was moving and they decided to have their home home group this that would have met at this other church second night they all came and one of the guys was a retired marine he'd uh, been a marine for like 10 years and when he got out of the brains he uh, fell into an alternate lifestyle got into drugs and things and um, got very severe hepatitis, his liver wasn't functioning very well, and uh, he ended up coming to Christ and got married, but there was a lot of stress in the marriage because he couldn't work, he couldn't make money, didn't have all that much money coming in his military pension, and uh, I don't even know if his wife was a Christian, but uh, during the course of the ministry that night, I said, I want to ask everybody with blood diseases to come up front, I believe there's a grace here for healing for you. Now, this man, this former Marine, his name is Jay. Jay was at his church. They didn't aggressively lay hands on the sick, but he thought, okay, well, I'll go up. And uh, I don't even know if I prayed for him. May have been some people in the church and the ministry team prayed for him. But he felt like this burning going on within him. It just so happened that the monthly, uh, I believe it was interferon injections Jay would get, he was scheduled to go into the clinic the next day. 
And so he went in and he said to the doctor, doctor, before you give me the injection, I feel very, very different. Can you do a round of blood tests? And most of you know they're CBCs, quick blood checks. So they did that and get the results in 10, 15 minutes. And uh, the doctor said, well, this is very unusual, Jay. Your numbers appear perfect. But he said, believe me, with this experimental medicine you're on, you know, there's going to be huge variations, but you still have hepatitis, you still have a bad liver. And so he uh, said, we need to give the injection. So Jay said, okay. So he takes the injection. By the way, I'm not, the point of this story is not if you're on heavy medication, stop taking it. You know, we need to get things confirmed, okay? I, just, I don't want a lawsuit against me. But... Uh, but Jay receives the injection, but the problem is now there's no disease for the interferon to fight, and he got very, very sick very quickly. And this was not a hospital, it was a clinic, but they did have a few rooms with hospital beds, and Jay was so miserable, he, they let him spend the night there. And so there was one other bed with another patient in the middle of the night. The other patient rang the bell. He needed help. Um, well, actually, it's, it's late in the morning, well, late in the night, it's about 6 in the morning. And um, the other patient rings the bell, and a male nurse comes in and helps the man get out of bed and walk to the little toilet room, closes the door. And Jay knew most, most of the people that worked there at that clinic. He'd never seen this male nurse before. And uh, when the, the male nurse closed the door and the man's in the little bathroom doing his thing, this male nurse points at Jay and says, Jay, what are you doing here? The Lord Jesus healed you last night. Jay is now really confused, but he said, the doctor came in a couple hours later, Jay's still in bed, and said, Jay, I think we need to give you another interferon dosage here. And Jay said, doctor, I don't know what's going on, but I, I can't do that. I feel great. And uh, he checked himself out. Within two weeks, Jay, for the first time in years, was able to get a job, go to work. He ended up buying a uh, some sort of bicycle began to exercise. He hadn't been able to exercise in like 10 years. Bicycle to and from his job. His wife was now exceedingly happy. He's bringing in a paycheck. Everything changed. That angel was giving Jay a now word. It was not just someday you're going to be healed or have faith, have hope, and God's good, and someday you're going to sneak into heaven. It was a now word. Jay, God's healing you. And I want to encourage you that uh, I'm a big believer in enjoying life, you know, but uh, we're also in a very precarious season we're in right now. We're in a season that could be described as time of wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, and droughts. As one of the prophets said, everything that can be shaken is being shaken, but we know the end of the story, don't we? And so when Paul said, be filled with the Spirit, it was not a suggestion, a helpful hint for nice living. It was a directive word. It's so funny when Christians say, well, there's only 10 commandments. No, there's over 1,700 directive words in the Bible. That's another message, though. Be filled with the Spirit, because you cannot live a Christian, biblically-based life aside from the leading the power, the comfort, the wisdom, the self-control, and the peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit. Are you alive? Let's all, let's all stand. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, uh, but we do have a resource table out there. After you've written a number of Christian books, you, you learn not to call them merchandise. You call them kingdom resources. So there's some kingdom resources, and one of the books I've written is called Breakthrough in Times of Breakdown. Not Breakdown in Times of Breakthrough. We're already good at that. But one of my favorite books that I've written anyway is called Becoming the Friend of God, all about really moving into a place of intimacy with the Lord. And I, I spoke on miracles Friday night. Uh, I, we have a two-CD set on miracles today, how to move in that, not only receive, but how God can use you. So, Oh, good. The cello player's up here. Good man. <laughs> So. Would you just, uh, um, just turn to the person next to you and say, don't bother me for the next few minutes. Mike, Mike, are we okay for time for a few minutes of ministry? Okay, good.
So you normally finish the message at 12, is that right? Or shoot? It's 11.54. My wife would be so impressed that I finish a message ahead of the, you know. She says it's a sign and wonder when I finish on time. So here's what I'd like to do. Um, do you mind just uh, taking that cello and just uh, playing softly for a few minutes like you were earlier on? And uh, you don't mind someone coming up here and telling your worship band to do? <laughs> and would you just close your eyes right now and would you pray out loud after me? Father God, thank you that you love me so much. You sent Jesus for me to pay for all my sins. And because I am forgiven, you've given me your very presence, Emmanuel, the presence of God, now dwells within me. Lord, I don't just want a little bit of your spirit. Would you fill me now to overflowing so that streams of living water would flow out of my innermost being? Would you fill me now with your power? Would you help me when I read your word to have divine insights? Help me to think with the mind of Christ not according to the prevailing philosophies of this world, but help me to think and perceive things from your mind, Jesus. Would you fill me with your peace now, with your comfort? Would you fill me with your power, your anointing, to move in the miraculous, to preach the gospel, but help me most of all to be conformed to the image of Jesus. I need you, Holy Spirit. Would you fill me up? Now, right where you're at, just close your eyes and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to fill you. Jesus said, or John the Baptist said, Jesus will give the Holy Spirit without measure. Jesus gives the Holy Spirit without measure. Father, we give glory to you because you can do far more than we can think or ask according to your dunamis power that works through us. Would you come and fill us all across the room from front to back to right and left? Would you fill us right now with your power? I bless what you're doing here, Holy Spirit. I bless what you're doing here, Holy Spirit. Just stay focused. We're just going to take a few more moments and press in upon the Lord. We're just going to take a few more moments and press in. There's some of you here, you're desperate for a fresh release of the peace of God. Maybe it's because of COVID or economic changes or family problems or health issues, but there's been a demonic stronghold of anxiety and fear warring against you. God's perfect love.